Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Children get ill and we're told that's a good thing. Catching viruses teaches our children's immune systems how to work effectively, priming them for a healthy, resilient life. But what about when it's more serious? And how do we know when that is? Today, I've got my sister and co-founder of The Parenthood, Dr. Kiara Hunt, here to be grilled about common infections and illnesses she sees in children in her GP practice. Kiara, welcome. I guess I'm very lucky because whenever I'm worried, I just get to call you. (laughs) You can either reassure me or tell me to get to the hospital. But a lot of people um, don't have that. Well, most people don't have that uh, access. Um, So I think this is a really important conversation, something we obviously start um, on the bump class. Um, But let's start with sort of basics. We're always told that a good indicator of whether our child is well is whether or not they have a temperature. Yes, I mean, I think I think one of the things to remember is that young children will get ill a lot, and they need to get ill because they need to um, show their immune systems these different, different bugs, so that their immune systems can build up the the immunity to them. So when they see them in future, that they're not going to get ill from them. So it's really normal for for young children to have, to be ill most of the time. And I'd say, you know, new parents coming to me in the first sort of three or four years of their you know their child's life, they will say all of them, they'll say. I was never ill before I had children and now I'm ill the whole time again. Or my child is constantly snotty, constantly ill. Um, and that is, that's just what happens. And then the children grow out of getting lots of infections and the parents have had their immune systems tested again. So, uh, so they're also stronger for it. Yeah, I do. I, I remember the times when I felt that like, ibuprofen children's ibuprofen and paracetamol were sort of on my kind of constant weekly shot because I was sort of <laughs> often using them and the other day I had to get some and I was like oh my god I haven't used this for years but it is a really good indicator of how when your children grow up a little it does just become a lot rarer yeah exactly exactly but I think you know you mentioned about about a fever and I think that's what a lot of parents worry the most about it's all very well your child having a runny nose or a little bit of a cough but when they get a fever um, and you know their temperature's high and their heart and and not feeling well, then I think it's quite worrying for parents. And what is worrying? So we, I know that a, a normal temperature is what thirty six point eight, so around thirty seven. Yeah, I typically never worry till it gets to forty. Is that really reckless of me? Well, I think I mean that's sort of probably um, reflection of being a, a doctor's daughter and having a doctor's sister. Um, a forty is quite high, um, but it does depend on how old your child is. So, as a general rule of thumb, if you've got a child under three months old. Um, then a temperature is generally worrying. So anything over a thirty-eight in a in a child, you know, less than three months old, they you, you know they, that child should should see a doctor. Um, the the three to six month period, um, again, 
they do get infections, but you want them checked out. So anything above 39 degrees in a child in three to six months is something to worry about, or at least to see a doctor about. And then after they're six months old, fevers are quite common and they're rarely caused by anything too serious. So over six months, I'd say don't look so much at the number, but treat the child. You know, you can have a child with 40 degrees who's running around happily, eating and drinking, behaving relatively normally you know, to worry about them. And you can have a child with 38 degrees who looks really ill and you're really worried about and you need to worry about them. So key to have a thermometer that you can use really easily. Yeah, yes. But also key to, to treat the child and not treat the fever. And this is something I'm telling my, my parent, my uh, patients the whole time um, is, you know, it's, it's not about the number on the thermometer. It's about how the child themselves um are and and how they're behaving and also what your gut instinct is you know and that's that's hard when you're a new parent because you're like I don't know what my gut instinct is but but you'll feel it if you're worried about your child there's usually a reason you're worried and you just get them checked out um alarmingly I've heard about febrile convulsion convulsions so when children have essentially seizures um mm. through uh, because of the high high fever what is that and is that extremely worrying well, it's it's extremely scary for the parents. It's usually not worrying. Um, yes, it's essentially when the child's response to having a fever is to have a fit, which is like an epileptic fit, but it's not epileptic. It's caused by the fever. Normally, they'll um, sort of resolve within about five minutes. Um, but it is utterly terrifying for the parents if that happens. And you've got you know, a child who's hot and having a, a fit. Um, so, you know, if it's the first time your child has that, then you, you'll always you know, call an ambulance and they'll go straight to hospital to be checked. And a child who's had it once is more likely to get it again. So, so once you've sort of experienced it and you know how to deal with it, it's, it's, um, it's a bit less worrying. Um, but, um, but, you know, the key is to diagnose that's, you know, that's what's causing the, the convulsion and then, and then, you know, treat it as necessary. But, but it's not necessarily a direct relation to a high fever. You can have a febrile convulsion at 38 degrees or you can have a febrile convulsion at 41 degrees. It's more that the child is prone to have that response to a fever. And what's actually happening? Is the child's body trying to reduce the fever in some way or is it just that they kind of can't cope? It's just a it's just a body's response in the same way that you you know get very hot or you get very shivery and it's just sort of doing that in overdrive. Um, but it's um, it's it's if it's diagnosed as a febrile convulsion, they'll grow out of it and and it's nothing to worry about. But I so think there's lots of things you can do when your child has a fever. Um, and you know the, the sort of in fact the, the sort of old adage of either you know wrap up a fever you know make the child sweat or, or or cool the child down by you know putting them in a cold bath neither of those are what we advise to do now they can actually make the child's fever worse you know cold sponging a child will make those blood vessels that have come to the surface which are helping to cool the blood down but um if you then put cold water on them the blood vessels constrict and it's harder for the body to lose heat so you don't want to do that. And again, wrapping, you know, wrapping a child up um, has shown to potentially make the make the, the fever or the illness worse. So just normal clothes and uh, and, um, you know, you can take a few layers off them if they're hot, but not strip them completely. Don't you don't again, you don't put a fan on them for the same reason. Um, give them medicines to bring the fever down if they need it. So again, if they're happy with a 40 degree fever, you don't have to give them a a medicine for it but if they're if they're clearly unhappy in pain or distress then you would give them either paracetamol or, or ibuprofen um, to uh, to help bring that fever down and what happens if they do, that doesn't bring the fever down do you seek help or is that yeah, so i think that's one of the reasons that um that you'd go and see a doctor is if your child has a high fever that doesn't come down with medicines and is unwell then then you definitely want them checked out by by the doctor or the or the nurse or any if you're really worried. 
Um, and how long is it normal to have a fever for? I mean, is there a kind of t- period of time if your child's had a fever, but they're well, that you would then be worried? Well, you'll often see if you look at the sort of instructions on all these bottles of Calpol or, or ibuprofen, you know, don't use this for more, more than three days. And the reason they say that is not because it's dangerous for your child to have that medicine for for more than three days it's it's because by three days you want to know what's causing it and the doctor needs to be telling you what's causing it is it just a common cold or is it something a bit more serious so most viral infections don't last you don't have a fever for more than three days so i normally say it's the three days that is a is a is a sort of cutoff point where if they're starting fever after that it's, it's worth getting them checked and we've obviously just come out of a couple of years of lockdown which has meant a massive reduction in colds and sort of illnesses mm-hmm. Um, but usually, how how often do children get colds? Oh, goodness. So, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because we've had, um, you know, I've got lots of sort of one, two, three-year-olds who haven't been ill at all. And the illnesses that they would have got in their first couple of years, they're now getting in their, in their sort of toddler years um, because they haven't been exposed to anyone else. But, you know, co- uh, pandemics aside, most children who are in a, um, in a, in a, nursery or play school or doing lots of socializing with other children will get on average between eight to 11 separate viral infections a year so it's a lot when you think that you know they, that could be sort of ill for three days but then kind of runny nose and, and cough and things for a few weeks after um, it can feel like they're ill in inverted commas all the time but actually they're not they're only ill for sort of three to five days of that virus and then they've got this sort of residual symptoms of of runny nose and cough but but are well, you know, are going to nursery, are, are um, you know, are, are eating normally, sleeping normally, behaving normally, and then that's, uh, um, you know, it's nothing to worry about. How easy is it to prevent us getting a cold? Or is it something that we shouldn't try and prevent? Should we essentially use the opportunity of toddlers being disgusting to sort of arm their immune system with the information it needs? Yeah. Or should we say, do you know what, let's just detail everything? And um... No, I mean, I think, again, it's slightly age dependent. When you've got a newborn baby or in the first really three, yeah, six months of the baby's life, you know, you do want to be a bit more cautious. Their bodies are slightly less able to cope with with being ill and having high fevers. But after that, I, I think, you know, it's detrimental to be a Dettol mother. You want to let your children, um, you know, have have exposure to the different, you know, germs, viruses, everything that's that's around to allow their immune system to to you know, build up an immunity to it. Um, so, so in fact, the pandemic has done has 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 not been good in that sense because a lot of these a lot of children haven't been exposed. But also going forward, you know, we're using masks much more. We're doing a lot more hand washing. We're you know we're 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 using antibacterials a lot more. And so the 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 number of infections they're getting when they're younger is less, which means that they'll get them when they're older or won't have the immunity when they're older. Uh, and, and actually, it's also causing problems with them developing allergies later on, much more so than before the pandemic. Hmm. Um, and what about coughs? I mean, again, coughs tend to come hand in hand with colds and they can be seriously annoying because they keep the children awake at night. They keep us awake at night. And then there's, of course, that worry. Well, I find with coughs, they always linger longer than I think they're going to. And I'm just on the cusp of thinking, oh, my God, I've got something terrible wrong with me when it eventually goes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something we see. And a lot of people have seen with, you know, with COVID, it's something that they've, they, you know, that's sort of well publicized. But even prior to the pandemic, the the um, the normal pattern is, is you know, you're cold for, you know, the first few days, you're, you're, you're fever, your illness, 
and then and then a cough which just lingers and lingers and lingers and really the cut the real cut of point is six weeks after the cold which is a long time Mo- for children most most coughs have gone by about three to four weeks after the cold but again nothing to worry about as long as the child is well with it if your child has got a cough you know three weeks after a cold and still getting a bit of fevers now and then it's a bit lethargic isn't really got as much energy as they normally have isn't eating well then absolutely you get them checked um, or, or, um, but if they're coughing, but perfectly well, you can relax. Is there anything you can give your children to ease the cough? I mean, does cough medicine work? Um, generally speaking in England, anyway, the stuff you can buy over the counter up to the age of six is pretty useless. It's all just glycerol syrup, you know, sugar syrup. Um, there are some sort of herbal ones you can buy, which are a bit more, have something more than sugar in it, but the, um, the ones that actually, treat the symptoms are are really only available from the age of six so um there's not much you can do uh, but you can you know what you can do is is put a humidifier in their room that often really really helps um sit them you know give them a couple of extra pillows if they're if they're you know in in beds with pillows by then if they're in a cot tilting their cot a bit um you using put the, books under the mattress can't you put books under the mattress or under the under one side of the you know one two of the legs at the front Using the chest rub, the vapor rub can help clear their airways a bit at night. Putting a bit of, you know, menthol or eucalyptus on on a muslin, put it near their cot, that sort of thing. That can all help, but it's helping the symptoms, and the body needs to clear it. And but I then, of course, some some children will get chest infections, and that's different, um, and that will need antibiotics. But a child with a chest infection hasn't just got a chesty cough; they're ill with a chesty cough. Is that what bronchiolitis is? No. No, bronchiolitis is different. Bronchiolitis is a viral infection um, that affects mainly little babies and causes them to wheeze and have quite, a, 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 um, or can cause them to wheeze and have quite a tight chest and and cause difficulties feeding and uh, difficulties breathing. Uh, and that needs, uh, if it's getting bad, needs to be seen by by the hospital or the doctor. Although it's often quite mild illness that just causes colds, um, but that's different. Bronchiolitis is a virus and uh, um, a chest infection. Is a is a bacterial infection that needs antibiotics, uh, but it's pretty rare that a child needs antibiotics for a chest infection if they don't have underlying asthma or something like that. Um, but often people used to think, oh, a chesty cough, like that old kind of smoker's type, type cough with like green mucus or, or green snot, is bacterial and needs antibiotics. But actually, lots of studies have shown now that viruses can cause that as well, and it doesn't often doesn't need antibiotics. And croup is something that is a specific uh, viral infection or bacterial infection. Yeah. No viral. So bronchiolitis and croup are both caused by viruses, um, but it, the 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 reaction, the body's reaction to it, is is a certain type of reaction. So for, with croup, for example, they get a they get a real barking sort of dog like seal like cough, uh, that's usually worse at night with some with some wheeze and some difficulty breathing and hoarse voice. Um, and again, you know, because it's their airways being constricted by the inflammation that the virus causes, it it can cause breathing difficulties. So, so a child with croup who's having who's struggling to breathe might need some some help in hospital from steroids and things like that. But in a lot of children, it's it's just they're perf- they're okay with it and they can manage perfectly well at home with it. So again, it's about treating the child. And how would you know that your child would need hospital attention or doctor's attention? You know, obviously with croup and coughs, they can sound really awful. Mm. And you've obviously mentioned if they are well, but can you can you tell if they're struggling to breathe? I mean, yeah. it sounds like a really... So, 
I think what I know, I mean, I think two things. One is is absolutely trusting your gut and and uh, and your instinct, and and if you're worried, just taking them to be seen. But but what you can do is just take their take their t-shirts off or their bodies or whatever, so that you can actually watch them breathing. And a child, especially a young child that is um, that is struggling to breathe, you'll see um, the skin above their like in between their ribs being sucked in with each breath. You'll see, and that's called you know that's called respiratory effort. You know they're putting a lot of effort into breathing with every in breath. Those um, the skin above the ribs is sucked in, or the skin under the ribs, and you can really see, or even the little um, the little bit uh, at the bottom of their neck before their rib cage starts. You can see that clavicle. being tugged, uh, not really your clavicle, but in the middle between your clavicles at the front. Um, just above your breastbone, um, you'll see that you know being tugged in and out with every breath, and you you can often hear a sort of wheezy sound. And with little children, they're unable to feed properly because they can't breathe properly. Um, so all of those would absolutely be signs that they need to be be seen sooner rather than later. And in hospital, they can measure their oxygen levels. They can give them oxygen. They can give them treatment with um, steroids and things if they need to. And what about sort of green phlegm and does that, you know, the green snot, does that mean they're really ill? Is that a sign of infection or is that quite normal? No, no. As I said earlier, they're, they're, um, that, that we used to think that was a sign of bacterial infection needing antibiotics. But actually, a lot of children with, with, with nasty colds, everyone, all mums listening to this will know that, you know, very often you have a disgusting coloured, um, you know, snot or, or coughing up you know, yellowy greeny um sputum that that doesn't mean it's a bacterial infection it just goes with a normal cold and i suppose you know trying to take pictures of that snot because it's not always consistent is it and the phlegm um or even dare i say keep it before you go to the doctor the more you can show to the doctor the better is that yeah right? that's where because of these you know devices that we all have now are actually quite useful so you know if your child is making a funny noise while they're breathing at night or you're not sure about that that tugging we just talked about or you want to take a picture of their poo or their snot or whatever then you know having that information to show your doctor when you see them is really useful so um so absolutely encourage you to do that um in terms of antibiotics i know that you know we hear that we use way too many antibiotics and doctors are kind of increasingly unwilling to prescribe them but will they always make your child feel better or you know should we push for them essentially so what what people need to understand, which which I think most people do, is that antibiotics are not going to do anything to help a viral infection. If, a, if an infection is caused by a virus, antibiotics won't help. They're they're essentially antibacterial, so they're 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 really helpful if you've got a bacterial infection. Now sometimes you can get a bacterial infection on the back or off the back of a nasty viral infection. So for example, you can have a really bad cold. She has the the child has a fever for three days, and and so the coldy symptoms get better, but then at the end of that or a few days later they're complaining really of a really sore ear or their cough is getting worse and they still have a fever or they're th- you know they, they can't speak or they can't eat because their throat hurts so much in which case it might be that some bacteria has lodged in one of these places and they're now developing a bacterial infection that would that would benefit from antibiotics so it just needs to be assessed by the doctor but m- most childhood infections don't need antibiotics and actually you know we have to remember that it's not just because the doctors don't want to give it to you a if it doesn't work there's no point but b it does often cause them to have upset tummy it can destroy then the normal gut bacteria you know it's it can cause resistance where the antibiotics become yes less helpful going forward and therefore if you don't need it why would you have it um but but that's got to be assessed and and uh discussed as part of the the, top, the consultation mm-hmm. and going on to ears um uh, ear infections are they common are they more common in the winter or the summer what causes them 
Um, they're really common, something we see quite a lot of, but some children tend to be more prone to them than others. So some children never get them, other children are absolutely plagued by them. Um, they're different types. You can get outer ear infections, which are more like swimmer's ear. That happens more in the summer where you've got sort of ear from swimming pools or um, fluid, uh, water from swimming pools or from the sea or from anything um, getting in the ear canal and causing irritation and, and infection. And those sort of infections are treated quite well with, with just drops. Um, but then middle ear infections is when you get a really sore earache, which is really unpleasant. And children will either tell you that if they're verbal, but if they're nonverbal, they'll be touching their ears, they'll be shaking their head, they'll be sort of bringing their sh- head to their, to their shoulder, and they'll have a fever, and they'll just be really uncomfortable. And a doctor can tell very quickly if a child has an ear infection. Um, and if it's a bacterial ear infection, that needs antibiotics. But you can get earache you know, with it, with the, with a normal viral ear infection with a cold, but that passes as the cold passes. So again, longer than three, three days or so of fever and earache needs to be seen by the doctor. And throats. I remember having tonsillitis endlessly as a child, but my children haven't really seemed to have it. Yeah. So again, if your tonsils are naturally large, then it's more, there's more of a chance that they're going to get inflamed by a virus or get a bacteria sort of lodged on them. So, um, doctor again can look quite easily down or a lot of mums get quite good at this now looking at their child's throat and if you see sort of white pus at the back of the throat then that probably does need some antibiotics but if it's just red and and swollen and it's early days of a cold then again that that can be perfectly normal um so so you know remembering that also children and adults can clear bacterial infections on their own if they're not too bad so it doesn't you don't have to jump straight down the antibiotic route um but um but so yeah, tonsillitis or strep throat. So so the streptococcus is a bacteria that can quite often lodge in the back of the throat. It doesn't necessarily affect the tonsils. It can affect just the back of the throat. And that is just really, really sore throat that spreads quite quickly around the family. So, you know, that sore throat usually without other, other, other coldy symptoms. And that also needs antibiotics. Do children sometimes feel better with the same infection than adults do? Are they are they better at sometimes dealing with it? I just remember once having a strep throat and it was like the worst I had ever felt. And Ludo also had it and didn't even take a day off school. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think children are, are sort of one or the other. Even when they're really ill, they can be sort of whimpering in your arms one minute. And then as soon as the cowpaw kicks in, they're playing Lego again and running around. Whereas, you know, we're just like in bed, sort of feeling very sorry for ourselves the whole time. So children definitely bounce back really quickly. And when they're well, they're fine. And when they're not, they're not. Um, and when it comes to sore throats, is there anything, I mean, obviously you've sort of ibuprofen and paracetamol, those are two things that are going to take the pain away, but is there anything else you can do to help, help the pain? Um, so there are some sprays you can get over the counter or prescribed, depending on how old your child is, that will help numb the back of the throat. So that's quite useful. So before they eat, for example, um, to help them be able to eat, um, cold food, cold fluids that can help. Ice cream. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And do you, still, do, you, do you still take children's tonsils out? It feels, again, much rarer now than it was. Absolutely, yeah, you do. Um, if they're if they're really causing a problem, so if if uh, either the child is getting lots of infections and lots of tonsillitis throughout the year, or that the, they're so big they're causing them to sort of snore a lot or not sleep properly as a result, so there are lots of reasons we take children's tonsillitis. A slightly different way of taking them out now is how we used to take them out, but but it's uh, it still happens. Usually when they're a bit older, not little children. It's usually from about the age of five. Um. And raised glands, is that an indicator that they're not well generally? Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, your glands, your lymph nodes in your in your neck, uh, well, actually, there's all over your body, but with colds and coughs, it tends to be in the neck more than, more than uh, anywhere else that gets inflamed. And it's completely normal when you've got a cold or when your child has, has a cold to, for these glands to become swollen, because that's where all the sort of, um, uh, all the fighters essentially in the body are accumulating to try and fight whatever's going on. So it's a good sign. If that's what the kind of antibody releases on kind of extra high alert, then that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. So so we'd expect them to go up, but we'd expect them to go down again after the infection has passed. And if they didn't, that would need to be checked. Um, because sometimes a raised gland that doesn't go down or is getting bigger, bigger despite getting better does need to be looked at. And if your child's got raised glands but is otherwise well... Is that something you just keep an eye on, but not necessarily go immediately to the doctor? No, I think, no, you definitely, if your child is completely well and has completely recovered and it's a month or two later and they've still got raised glands, you definitely go and get that checked. Um, Meningitis. I know that children are now inoculated against meningitis. So we're seeing much less of it than we used to. Um, So it's part of the uh, routine schedule now in the UK is meningitis B, which is one of the ones that does cause the, the, um, you know, the nasty, scary meningitis, but we still do see it. And there are different types of meningitis. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's the sort of doctors and parents sort of one of their greatest fears is a child with meningitis because they, they deteriorate so quickly. Um, and uh, and you know can become extremely unwell. Um, so that's what we have to. You have to always look out for signs of um, when when your child has a fever and just make sure they don't have any of those signs. So you, you know it's the classic. I think everyone pretty much knows it. But you know an older child will complain of a headache, stiff neck, not be able to move their head, not be able to touch their chin to their chest. They won't want to, or they'll be sort of disturbed or distressed by lights. You know, want to be in a dark room. And then later on, there they'll develop this rash. But that's usually quite a late sign, which is the the rash that doesn't go when a glass is pressed against it. it looks almost like a bruisey type rash. One of the one of the earliest signs of a sort of worry with a child with a fever is is really cold hands and feet, despite being really hot when they're and feeling unwell as well. So that's one of the things I always tell my parents to kind of look out for. But also, you know, not even just with meningitis, but you know, other any type of infection can become more serious. Um, so it's important to, you know, if the child is becoming drowsy or irritable and not getting better with, with you know, with medicines. Uh, we talked about breathing difficulties. If they're, if they're sort of bluey or dusky around their mouth, especially little children, that's not, that's not a good sign. You need to get that uh, child to hospital. Um, you know, uh, starting to look dehydrated, dry tongue, dry lips, dry eyes, babies, sunken fontanelle, um, not, not peeing, no wet nappies. Um, you know, that sort of thing. So all those, you know, whatever the infection is, even if you think it's just a cold, if, you, if your child is, is showing any of those signs, that's something that needs, needs looking at. And that's presumably 
you know, if that's in the middle of the night, it's not, oh, look, we'll wait till the morning. That's mm. who goes to the hospital now mm. with any of those mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah, that's straight to hospital. Yeah. So I guess, you know, a big part of this is also knowing where you go, you know, where your nearest A&E or paediatric A&E is, um, rather yeah. than starting to sort of Google and work out where you go, you sort of want to know in any place that you're, you spend a lot of time or where you live, where you would go and how you get there. Yeah, absolutely. Or even if you're going on a holiday and spending a week somewhere, always, you've got young children, always sort of have an idea of how, how you get them to hospital if they needed to. Mm-hmm. And presumably, it's sometimes if you can just quicker to drive them, they'll be seen quicker rather than calling an ambulance. Um, I think you can you can always call nine 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 and get the if you're really worried and get the advice. And they may it it's like it depends on on how quickly the ambulance can get to you, how close the hospital is, what can, what the actual problem is. Um, so I'd always I wouldn't just drive without calling nine nine nine, but it may be both. Mm-hmm. Um. Diarrhea and vomiting. <laughs> Again, it feels like, you know, we often, our children often kind of get this. Um, but babies obviously dehydrate a lot more quickly than we do. Would we be worried sooner in a baby or a child than we would in, in adults? Uh, yes, definitely. Definitely young children under one um, can dehydrate very quickly from diarrhea and vomiting. So so we, you know, we have to be much more on it um, with younger children. Um, and also these vomiting bugs that you get, you know, they spread through the family pretty quickly. And um, and so it's often a case of everyone is, is really unwell with it or feeling at least really unwell. Um, so so it's yeah, but it, the smaller the child or the younger the child, the more you need to sort of be on top of their fluids. Um, and it really is all about fluid management. It's all about, um, you know, getting as many sips of water or diarolite or milk or whatever it is that they're that, that they're drinking into them. Um, and often, often, especially with little babies, it's uh, it's not a case of giving them lots of bottles because they drink a large amount and then they just vomit it all up straight away. So it's little, little, little and often and often with little syringes, you know, those little cowpaw syringes you get just giving them every five, 10 minutes, a little bit of whatever they're drinking through the syringe. Um, can help so it's it's I would say don't worry at all about food I don't I don't care if they don't eat for days but if they don't drink that's a that's a that's a real problem I mean typically when children are ill they just don't want to eat at all I remember mm-hmm. my children literally it felt like a week that they hardly ate anything mm-hmm. uh, and I was desperate to get stuff inside them is it worth that battle or do you just let it go no for food just let it go um absolutely just let them eat what they want if they just want dry toast that's absolutely fine and they'll catch up um on what they haven't eaten once they're well and and you know the nutri- you know the sort of good good things that that you want them to eat will you know they'll, they'll be able to eat when they're better so i wouldn't i wouldn't have that fight um but i would i would concentrate on the fluids that's the most important and would you give them like a rehydration if they're slightly older? A re- is, it, is it better to encourage them to drink a sort of rehydration drink rather than just water when they're a bit older? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But even little babies can have the rehydration, the diarolite uh, mixed with their milk or on its own if they'll take it. So, yes, that will just give a, f- a few sort of electrolytes and, and sugars and salts and things into their into their system, which is good. What are the signs that a child is becoming dangerously dehydrated? Um, so it does depend on the age of the child, but I, I, I sort of just the list I said just now, which was the sort of you know the, the dry lips, the dry tongue, the sunken fontanelle, the uh, the the um, for babies it's about their nappies. You know, are they, if they're having dry nappies, if your baby wakes up in the morning and the nappy is dry, you know that's uh, that's something to worry about. They need to be. But if a baby's got diarrhea and vomiting or any illness and has got nice wet nappies, that's really reassuring. Mm-hmm. 
So a couple of things that um, I, I don't know, I have no idea what it is. Impetigo. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, children are plagued by infections, aren't they, in lots of different types. So impetigo is a bacterial skin infection. It's, um, it's sort of a crusty, yellowy um, skin infection that spreads across wherever it is. And it's very, very contagious. So um, the children tend to pass it to each other. Uh, and it kind of has a honeycomb type crusting on it. Um, it's not very pleasant. Uh, no, but it doesn't it's, happen on the body typically. Anywhere on the body. Where? Around the face sometimes, around the... Um, anyway, it can happen anywhere on the skin. Um, but it, it's uh, it's quite easily treated with either uh, antibiotic cream or oral antibiotics. Okay. And do they usually feel well with it or do they feel... Yeah, well no, they feel pretty fine. They usually feel fine with it. Um, it's just a bit irritating on their skin um and and, and a, an illness should, should probably be renamed in the 21st century slapped cheek <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah slapped cheek slapped cheek syndrome is something that lots of children babies get um especially sort of younger younger children it's caused it's a viral infection caused by a virus called parvovirus um and i mean all of these infections we'll talk through now most of them you don't actually do anything about you just want to recognize that it's this particular uh, virus and then and you you have an understanding of how long it will last and what your child's symptoms are likely to be and just support them with with the different measures you would use to support them with any with any illness but um yeah slap cheek what they have is they get coldy symptom for a few days runny nose sore throat maybe a bit of headache and then they get these bright red cheeks um that which is why it's called a slap cheek um, and then a few days later, they might get a sort of spotty rash on the rest of their body, um, arms and legs, which can be a bit itchy. Um, and then and then it goes. But you, you don't need they don't need a specific treatment for it. And normally, the both rashes have cleared within about two weeks. But the, the child is well as soon as that first sort of coldy symptom has gone. Mm-hmm. And hand, foot, and mouth. So again, again, a lot of parents listening to this will know hand, foot, and mouth. It's not the sort of bovine uh, foot and mouth. <laughs> um, uh, it's completely different, but it's uh, again another another um, another viral infection, quite mild, but it causes more blistering rashes. So um, so little kind of blisters that then crust over um, on the um, palms of the hands, soles of the feet, uh, uh, often around the mouth, around the bottom. They'll often have a have a um, sort of irritated rash around the nappy. Sometimes blisters in the mouth. So actually, the main problem with that is that if they've got it in and around the mouth, they don't want to eat and drink and so the bit one of the biggest risks is them getting a bit dehydrated as a result of it it looks awful um, but it's actually not very serious and they usually get fever and coldy symptoms at the beginning of it as well as with all these viruses and should you isolate your child when they've got this or could you send them to nursery so you don't want to send them when they're ill um because you know uh, they're ill and you don't want to be sending them but the, uh, uh, it's not a so it's not contagious are you know after a few days so what by the time they're better they can go back into to, to school or nursery but the likelihood is is that your other child will get it too quite likely unless they've had it before i mean some children will get hand foot and mouth and literally get a couple of spots and might have had a fever and a runny nose for a day and others it will be awful you know they'll have horrid blisters everywhere and not want to eat because it hurts so it does depend on your child you may well have a child who's had it but you didn't know they had it and do parents tend to catch it then from their children or is it something? Most parents have had it. Um, so unless they are sort of immunocompromised in any way or they're pregnant and their immune system's a bit uh, low, then you don't usually need to worry about it with any of these viruses. But pregnant women need to need to be careful about all these kind of childhood um, viruses that are around. 
So the next one on my list is a, is an illness which has a name of a sort of Harry Potter esque villain, scabies. Scabies. Scabies is is little is is an infection of the skin caused by um, little tiny mites that burrow through the skin and cause a very itchy itchy rash. Uh, again, often uh, palms of hands, soles of feet, and you see these little. Um, burrow marks if you look carefully you might you might look just like eczema or look dry skin but you see these little these sort of burrow marks and the, the key is it is really really itchy um it's often sort of also in the armpits and the gentle areas so if you've got a child who's constantly scratching in those areas you want to be checking them um and and the, again really easily treatable but that the whole family needs to be treated again it's very contagious especially sharing bedding sharing towels that sort of thing so the whole whole family is treated for that with and all you know the, all the clothes have to be decontaminated and things um it's not very pleasant but it is it is relatively straightforward to treat is it something that children get more than adults because i have never had any friends tell me they've got (laughs) maybe it's something they're not willing to share with me (laughs) no it is it is probably most common in the sort of teenage university age group but we do definitely see children getting it um it's not uncommon in young children but you have to go to your doctor to get the special cream no you can get it over the counter from the pharmacy okay um and then chicken pox i remember we was going to chicken pox parties but now of course you can get a vaccination for it yeah but the vaccination is not part of the routine um schedule in the uk it is in most other countries it is in in america and most of europe so actually they see much much less chicken pox than we do um so we still see quite a lot of it here um and again for chicken pox it's a sort of blistering itchy rash um so that you get little blisters that kind of come in clusters that then break and scab over and then fall off and once the the thing with chickenpox is it's contagious from about two days before the rash appears until the 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 blisters are all scabbed over um so often you you, you know you've been exposed to it before you know the child's got it um but it's um again most adults are immune to it unless they've got a weak immune system um, you want to make sure you've you, you've got immunity if you're pregnant. One of the things they check, um, and again, it's just you just let it pass. And there's lots of things over the counter in the pharmacy that can help alleviate the symptoms a bit. Bit of bit of antihistamine to help the itch. Bit of calamine for the, or or, or some sort of itch relief cream. And do they feel generally kind of wretched when they have chicken pox, or is it yeah. just the kind of ugly spots and the itchiness? Uh, they usually feel pretty wretched at the beginning for three to five days or so of having a nasty viral illness um and then and then they feel fine with the spots after that but then you have to isolate your child don't you yeah well you, uh, you, that's the sort of thing where you can't go on a flight you can't go to school you can't you know you have to wait you usually go through the family as a sort of domino effect if the other children haven't had it so there's usually a long period of time of being isolated as a family with chicken pox and are you isolating for a certain amount of time or is it a physical indication um, when the child can be released from their isolation? So it's usually five days from the rash appearing or until all their pox have, have scabbed over and are dry. And do some children get it really badly and need hospitalisation or is it always pretty mild? No, uh, um, it's usually relatively mild in the sense that I'm not sure parents would describe it as mild when their child has it because they can be pretty miserable, but it doesn't usually require hospitalisation. But it can, it can, as most of these infections, um, they can end up ended up with a child in hospital and it can cause you know infections in the brain and all sorts of nasty things. And, and, and scarring is one of the biggest problems with chicken pox is because the pox are really quite big and can be quite inflamed it's common to get scarring where the pox has been which is not great 
And is the vaccination as effective as having had and recovered from chickenpox? Yeah, I mean, the vaccination is, is two injections. And I think what, what happens is a lot of people will have one and then forget about it, especially because they're not being called. So if you have them both with the right time period between them, then then it's it's as effective as having chickenpox. Um, you can get you can get mild forms of chickenpox if you've had the vaccine, but it's usually one or two spots. Um, and that's it's fine. It's like a little mini booster then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's stimulating your immune system again. Uh, what's roseola? Am I even pronouncing it correctly? Yeah, no, roseola, another one of these lovely illnesses that that most children will get at some point in their childhood. Um, sometimes some parents might know it as the three-day fever. So um, children will, with roseola will get a... Um, will get a high fever. It is quite high normally, so 39, 40 for three days. And then that's followed by um, by this rash, which is quite um, dramatic, but quite sort of classic for, for doctors to recognise. Um, and they get this at quite a young age. They normally have had it by the age of two. Um, and again, the rash have, look like? Um, it's a sort of flat red, um, uh, sort of slightly raised spots all over the it starts on the um it starts on the trunk and then spreads up to the face and the limbs but it's it's sort of everywhere so it does look quite dramatic and um, is it itchy not really no no but they do have the coldy symptoms before um which again is is sort of classic with all these all these infections um but the, the the key is they've had this fever and then they get the rash and again a doctor will recognize it pretty pretty quickly and that's not scarlet fever no Scarlet fever is a bacterial infection. So it's sometimes called scarletina. Uh, some people might um, might uh, might have heard of that. Um, and it's it's kind of th- mostly sore throat. So you get raised glands, really really sore throat, um, and then about two days, well, a day to two later, we'll get this kind of rough rash starting on the face this time, and then spreading to the rest of the body. But that feels um, quite rough the, the the rash is quite raised it feels a bit like sandpaper the rash of of, of scarlet fever um and uh, it's it's quite uncomfortable the rash itself isn't contagious actually but um uh, but it needs treating with antibiotics because it's caused by the streptococcus it's caused by the same type of bacteria as strep throat um but in in little children it causes this scarlet fever and, and what about yeah and what about measles so measles wasn't something we used to, we saw at all because everyone was 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 vaccinated, but it's something that we've started seeing again now and is is much more serious than any of these other ones that we've been talking about. Um, um, and again, they'll get you know quite hard because they get similar types of symptoms. You know, the cold symptoms, the high temperature, and then this rash. But they'll often be quite um, they'll have quite sore eyes with measles. They'll have a kind of conjunctivitis or like irritated red eyes. And if you look carefully, they have. Um, uh, grey spots inside their um, inside their mouth and on their cheeks, um, and uh, and a specific kind of look to their tongue. A doctor again can recognise it quite easily, but and they they get quite ill or can get quite ill quite quickly with measles, and then they get this spotty rash which is on the head, on neck, and face, and then goes down the body. Um, and obviously, if your child's been vaccinated, and that this is part of the routine vaccination process, yeah. this is the MMR, isn't it? That's yeah, that they have when they have when they're one, and then before they start school when they're three or four. So, if your child has been vaccinated, it's not something you need to worry about. It's more if if your child hasn't been vaccinated or before your child has had their vaccination that you need to be worried about measles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and child children below the age of one uh, haven't had won't have been vaccinated. 
Um, and uh, and obviously unvaccinated children aren't protected. So it's worth looking looking out for. And if your child has not had their measles vaccine, but they've been exposed to measles, but aren't showing any signs of, of infection, what do you do? Well, you just monitor them and, you know, you don't have to worry if they're not ill or they don't show any signs of, of infection. But um, it's a notifiable disease, measles, so so that they would, you know, the health authorities would know about it anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chiara. This has either been incredibly reassuring and empowering for people or put the fear of God into the... <laughs> I, think, I think the message really is that there's lots of, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of things that's perfectly normal for your child to get and the vast majority of them are not going to make your child particularly un- unwell or particularly more unwell than any cold will make them. And a lot of them have names that are a bit scary but don't actually mean much because the treatments are exactly the same. Um, you just they just give you information about you know what to expect and what the contagious period is and all that sort of thing um and and re- really remembering that it's 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 not about treating the the actual condition or even particularly the actual fever it's about about the child and how well or unwell they are that will that will help you make those decisions to to see a doctor or to have more treatment mm-hmm. and i guess the key is to trust your instinct and know where you would go if you did want, if you were worried. Yeah, absolutely. But children are pretty robust. They'll go through, have all these infections and bounce back, um, most of them. So, And at the time, we feel that life is awful and, you know, we're so worried about these infections. And then two weeks afterwards, we've totally forgotten that they even happened. Yeah, everything, like everything in, in parenthood and childhood, it's a, it's a phase and you forget about it pretty quickly. Well, thanks, Kiara. That was very useful. Um, thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm marina.fogel. But in the meantime, from Kiara and me, thanks for listening. And goodbye. Goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.